0: Welcome to the Play Readers, a podcast where we discuss unusual or infrequently produced plays. I'm your co-host Andrea, and I'm Nick, and we are the Play Readers. Today's play is by Paddy Chayefsky, who is better known as an Academy Award-winning screenwriter than a playwright, but he still created a number of very interesting works, including *The Latent Heterosexual*, which we will be discussing today.
1: Yes, The laden Heterosexual was first presented at the Dallas Theater Center in Dallas, Texas, on March 18, 1968. It was a production that was directed by Burgess Meredith. Awesome. Who was already a pretty famous actor at that point in time. But yeah. in 1968, he would have been best known for having played the Penguin.
0: The OG Penguin. The
1: OG Penguin. One of the first (laughs) ones anyway. And uh, the TV series from the 1960s, the the Batman TV series with Adam West and Burt Ward. Yeah. And it starred, originally starred uh, Zero Mostel. Love him. Who uh, you may remember from the producers. Very good. I don't know if it was what it was about the play exactly, but evidently Patty Chayefsky refused to allow it on Broadway. Huh. Yeah, it it had its run at the Dallas Theater Center and that was pretty much it. I didn't find a lot of evidence that this play has been produced much since then. Wow. There was. I did come across a 2001 production mm-hmm. on Broadway that starred Mike Myers of Saturday Night Live fame. Oh gosh. And uh, that's about it. Okay. Paddy Chayefsky himself, uh, the the playwright slash screenwriter, mm-hmm. his career started, oh, about the uh, end of the 1940s, early 1950s. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first big success was a screenplay called Marty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he did a lot of plays during that time as well, including, I have an anthology right. of his stage plays. And it includes Middle of the Night, which is uh, from 1956. It's about a, a May-December romance. Okay. You know, a much older man dating a younger woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's The Tenth Man from 1959. That was a play that we might go back and, and talk about that one as well. Oh, for sure. The Tenth Man, if uh, if you're looking for something else that's interesting, it's about, it's a romance, <laughs> but it's a romance that takes place during an exorcism, <laughs> Uh, there's Gideon, which is religious. That's from 1961. Uh, the Passion of Joseph D, which is sort of a political epic about uh, the rise of Joseph Stalin. Mm-hmm. That's from 1964. And then, really, I think his last stage play was The Latent Heterosexual, which was in 1968. Okay. And it appears to have been originally titled The Accountant's Tale, uh-huh. or The Case of the Latent Heterosexual. Okay. And then he really went into screenwriting a little bit heavier by the 1970s. I think he must have given up stage writing. Mm-hmm. He was an Academy Award winner for The Hospital mm-hmm. and then a, a TV show or a, a movie called uh, Network, mm-hmm. which was about a TV show. Okay, And that one's fairly well known for its sort of its it's one big monologue that was in there that ends with, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Oh, it's that one? Yeah. Oh. I, was, I just watched a clip from it. Oh, uh, okay. Just to get an idea. But that's Patty Chayefsky. Gotcha. And then he, I think his last screenplay was Altered States.
0: Which I've seen and is just. Another wild, wild trip.
1: It's a strange movie, but that was his—that was his last screenwriting credit. Uh, so that's what he was best known because he won the Academy Award three times. Yeah. So he wasn't real well known as far as his playwriting career yeah. was concerned.
0: He definitely found his niche in screenwriting. Yeah. It seems.
1: Some other things about Patty Chayefsky: He died in 1981. He was just shy of 60. Okay and he had cancer and apparently refused surgery because he was afraid the the surgeons maybe saw the hospital which he wrote oh and might enact their revenge
0: oh no something like
1: that so he must have been I, maybe a little paranoia there
0: maybe so the latent heterosexual is quite a title
1: <laughs> it is and it's a little misleading yeah I mean, when I first heard that title, my assumption was this was maybe an early LGBTQ rights mm-hmm. type of play, but it really isn't.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the the issue of the main characters, homosexuality versus heterosexuality and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. It's a plot point. The play itself is really about transformation. Okay. And the play borrows a, a lot. There, are, there are elements of realism and naturalism involved with this, particularly with regard to the set. Mm-hmm. There's also a little bit of expressionism because the the structure of the plot follows something. It's kind of similar to what Elmer Rice did with the Adding Machine. Okay. And Sophie Treadwell did with Machinal. There, there's this sort of this. There's six scenes, and they're sort of episodic. Okay. But the play itself is maybe borrows mostly from absurdism and existentialism, mm-hmm. which was something that was mostly born out of of World War II. So it was a lot of the the prominent works of that movement are from the 40s and the 50s.
0: And those isms are pretty weird comparatively yeah, to well, some of the others.
1: I mean, if you think about it, there's there's sort of a standard theater, and you got things like musicals and just straight theater, and, and you know your average comedy sort of things, yeah. And then you've got sort of like weird theater,
0: yeah. Okay, well, um, why don't we get into the cast then? Let's let's start with the cast. What does that look like?
1: The cast is overwhelmingly male. All right. Uh, most of the 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 main two guys there is Irving Spatz, who is a tax advisor. And there is John Morley, who is the title character. Mm -hmm. And these are the two guys for whom most of the drama occurs. Mm -hmm. Uh, Both of them are on stage for most of the production. Uh, There are other people. There are lawyers involved. There's an agent involved. I think I counted out in terms of the main roles. You've got seven men. Mm -hmm. And most of those guys are, are... either lawyers or something similar to that. Mm-hmm. There is one role for a woman that mm-hmm. is of note. That is uh, Christine Van Dam, Van Dam or Van Damme. Mm-hmm. And she is a very high class call girl. Okay. And then you've got some bit roles here and there. There are two secretaries who have no lines. <laughs> All right. So there's, there's two uh, female roles right there. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a um, – there's a few people who show up in the final scene. There's a nurse, an attendant, a handyman, and Dr. Kloon. Okay. So depending on how you want to cast those, uh, particularly with the smaller roles, I don't think gender matters as much okay. as with the older one, other ones. There's a real – because this is 1960s. Yeah. So there is – that element of traditional gender role and that sort of thing going on of course it is a product of its time it is a product of its time yes um I would also warn I mean we're talking about the cast here um but I would also warn that there are elements of this play that are homophobic yeah I mean with something like this it's it's pretty much the case yeah I I don't know how offensive people are likely to find it. Mm-hmm. But I also don't want to claim that what's going on here is not homophobic, because I think it is.
0: Yeah. Um, you had mentioned when we were talking about it that some slurs were used here and there.
1: There is, yeah. yeah. There is the use of a slur. Mm-hmm. Um this is one of those reasons. I think this is like a professional theater type of thing, yeah. maybe collegiate theater. This is not the kind of play that a community theater is likely to do.
0: Yeah, it's it's and, a minefield that you want to be able to be sure you can navigate, right? Yeah,
1: and it's not. It is. And uh, even if you take out the homophobic elements, this is an incredibly challenging play. Okay, I don't think that crowding on a stage should be an issue because in order to meet the technical challenges of this, you're going to have to have a pretty good sized stage anyway.
0: So you had mentioned some technical challenges then. Um, What are those challenges with regards to staging?
1: The first three scenes all take place in the same place. Mm -hmm. it's It's like over the course of a year and a half, but it's still in the same office space. So that part of the set isn't so tough. Right. But when you get into the fourth fifth and sixth scenes everything the the uh set shifts oh and at one point in time you need this guy's entire library on stage uh-huh and then the actor needs to trash them <gasps> smash them and all over the stage so that's a pretty big check technical that,
0: challenge right yeah there.
1: there are some other things i think the biggest challenges are going to be on the acting end of things okay because this is such a bizarre play mm-hmm
0: So it kind of sounds like it might just be best to address um, any additional challenges uh, when we get to them in the plot. So let's just dive into that. Uh, What happens in this play, Nick?
1: (laughs) Well, the the actual production again. There's there's six scenes. Mm -hmm. I think that you would be best suited if you were to produce this. You would want to put that intermission between three and four. Right in the middle. Right in the middle, because that's when the set changes, of course. Sure. So you could do a lot of your scene changes during the intermission. Mm-hmm. The first three scenes in this play take place in the office of Irving Spatz, mm-hmm. who is a tax advisor, and it's kind of hard for a while to pinpoint exactly what kind of guy Irving Spatz is. Yeah. He is primarily a tax advisor. We learn almost nothing else about this guy personally <laughs> outside of what he does for work. huh. He's very organized and very methodical and very intelligent, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really have a lot of concern for good over evil, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. He's kind of amoral. Okay. So we got this office of Irving Spatz, and when the play opens... It is, uh, it's October 11th, 1960. Okay. The whole play takes place over, I want to say about four years. Mm -hmm. It's 1960 and we've got these two guys coming into Mr. Spatz's office. Mm -hmm. And they are Henry Jad, who is either, I think he's a manager or something, but this is the only scene he actually appears in. Okay. And you've got John Morley. Mm -hmm. John Morley is the title character.
0: Yeah.
1: John Morley is Flamboyantly gay. Yeah, he's he's what they would have called camp gay. Okay, right. So, and it's I mean I'm, I'm imagining Zero Mostel or Mike Myers in this role, just
0: going absolutely full on, turned up to eleven.
1: It is. It's yeah. a it's a real scene chewing <laughs> thing. For yeah. this for this particular role, especially the first two scenes yeah. in particular are very very funny. Yeah, and they aren't viciously homophobic okay. I mean there is homophobia here particularly as people react to John Morley mm-hmm. but John Morley himself is comfortable in his own skin at this mm-hmm. point again he's he's very very flamboyant but he is unapologetically so yeah so you've got you've got John Morley. You've got his, I think, his agent. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's a publisher. I think he's just his, uh, maybe a manager or an agent or something like that. It doesn't actually specifically say what Henry Jad is. Sure. And uh, John Morley's got this problem. He's an author. Mm-hmm. He is an author who has had some, I mean, at least enough to make ends meet, mm-hmm. s- success in the past, but very recently he wrote a book that is very successful. Mm -hmm. What has happened prior to the action on the stage is that, I think they say Random House and Dell Publishing, which of course are real uh, publishing houses, they are told by the IRS to freeze any payments Because it turns out that he didn't pay any taxes
0: on his earnings,
1: and it it, not only that, but he's never paid taxes.
0: Oh no! At
1: any point in time, so you've got this guy who uh, is—he's very distressed. Yeah, he's he's terrified of what's going to happen. They have lay it out for him. They say you are probably looking at felony charges here. Which oh
0: means no! Actual
1: jail time and that sort of thing. Yeah. A note that I made here when I made this the outline to this, I sort of suspect that John Morley may be loosely based on William S. Burroughs. Okay. I don't have any real evidence for that. Yeah. But Burroughs would have been at least in a published author over the course of the 1950s, he was one of the beats. Right. But his big, big work that went on obscenity trials was Naked Lunch. hmm And that was, I, I want to say the obscenity trials was 62, uh, 63 or something, but they describe his latest novel as, as making no sense and being degenerate. They make reference to John Morley having spent time in Ch- Tangiers, which uh-huh. is another William S. Burroughs thing. Yeah. So I kind of wonder if... If maybe the character is loosely based on on burrows mm-hmm.
0: But this is just speculation. There's no documentation that you've been able to find, one way or the other. I have
1: no evidence. Okay, yeah, this is just me because I just recently read Naked Lunch and Junkie sure. and that sort of thing, and I go, "Huh, you know, this is about the right era." Mm-hmm. Anyway, Henry Jad is very angry with with uh, John Morley. A lot of the homophobia comes from him, and it comes from Irving Spatz because they're they're disparaging him and that yeah. sort of thing. But he, he's really angry with uh, John Morley. For being so dumb and not paying his dang taxes. And Morley kind of provokes. Oh, does he? A Mm -hmm. little bit with his behavior, yeah. So John Morley, he's looking at felony charges. Mm -hmm. And so Spatz, Spatz is like the best there is. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a, he's pure tax advisor and he knows everything. And one thing about the role of Irving Spatz is there are some gigantic friggin' monologues out of this guy? Oh, really? And it's you know what techno babble is? Yes. It's it's kind of a sci-fi term, mm-hmm. you know, when when you don't have to really know what the details of the science are is, but it has to sound good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Irving Spat speaks with a lot of techno babble, but it's I'll just call it business talk. Okay. But he there's a lot of dialogue uh-huh. coming from him about all the technicalities. How it works with taxes, what you can write off, all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't understand a word of it. Right. So the first thing SPATS does, you know, as they, they go on and there's tons of, you know, we talk about acting monologues. Yeah. I'm disrupting myself here. Uh, we talk about acting monologues with these plays. Mm-hmm. There's tons of them yeah. in this. Uh, a lot of them are techno babble and probably wouldn't work as good audition pieces. But mm-hmm. there are a lot of really long, very good monologues. So if you're an actor or a college student and you're looking for monologues. Maybe for a, a, a scene in a class or something. Or a scene in a class. Yeah. This might not be a bad choice. Okay. Yeah. So John Morley uh, is first told that he needs to get declared incompetent by a psychiatrist.
0: Oh no! So that's the first thing
1: Spatz throws at him: is uh-huh. we've, we've got to demonstrate that you were incompetent and were unable to pay your taxes. Uh-huh. Morley seems a little, almost disappointed. Yeah. Like, uh, like he expected more, better, like, like magic. Yeah, you know?
0: just make this problem go away. Yeah. Right. Okay.
1: And then uh, Spats comes up with kind of the big, big plot point here. Uh-huh. He tells tells John Morley that he's going to turn him into a corporation. Oh, okay. So John Morley is going to be a corporation.
0: Not so weird an idea now, where apparently corporations are people. But in the sixties, I, I suppose it was
1: well, yes, and something his, else. It's sort of an interesting thing that – because this is the whole plot. Yeah. He turns into a corporation. They also turn him into a charitable organization. Uh-huh. They also suggest – because he's a junkie, another William S. Burroughs thing. Right,
0: right, John right. John
1: Morley is also a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. Um, this poor guy. Yeah. They they give him uh, – they, they say they're going to take his – all the money he spent on dope, mm-hmm. and they're going to write it off as research and development for his book, <laughs> right? <Okay. laughs> and sure. Um, the great thing about this scene, too, as he's we're going to turn you into corporation, then we're going to turn you into we're going to turn you into a charitable organization. Mm-hmm. John Morley is getting sexually aroused. Oh, by this, huh? So as. Spats is using his techno babble and uh-huh. he's describing what they're gonna do. They're gonna turn you into a, a corporation. He's becoming audibly aroused by the process. Wow. He has this this really long monologue. Morley? Morley does. Okay. Where he describes it as a transcendental experience. Is
0: of, is he high in this scene?
1: He might be. <laughs> I mean, they, he's he he does. There is something mentally atypical. Okay. About this guy, mm-hmm. he is there's there's a reason that the things happen to him the way they do. There's something. There's there's some mental health problems there. Uh-huh. Then, uh huh. Then then Spat suggests Morley gets married. Uh huh. For tax purposes. And Morley has... Well, he's got he's got a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. They talk about him. His name is Richard. He never actually appears on stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's resistant to it. But then they say, well, it'll save you this much and this much and this much. And he says, oh, well, yeah, then get me married. No problem. <laughs> okay. And so the first scene is just kind of setting this up. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to transform you into a corporation. And that's going to get you out of having to spend any time in jail. So the scene cuts... Uh, at the very end they there's the transition they actually sit down. There's another actor here too mm-hmm. that I didn't mention because he's kind of in the background. It's uh Arthur Landau. He shows mm-hmm. up quite a lot. He's a lawyer, okay, and uh he comes in. There's also a secretary in the scene. She does things that look like what a secretary would do and then and that's it.
0: taking notes, fetching papers, et cetera coffee yeah, yeah. okay yeah, that's that's pretty much it yeah, great role, great role, yeah. <laughs>
1: The scene ends because it's a transition from one day to another, and Mm -hmm. the second scene opens uh, six months later, I want to say, two weeks, I'm sorry, two weeks later. It's the exact same location. Mm -hmm. So what happens is, at the end of the scene, Irving Spatz and Arthur Landau sit down and start talking about a completely different case, and then the lights go down, and then they leave, and then the lights come up, and then... Irving Spatz is back on stage. Uh, the second scene opens up. Uh, we got the secretary again. We got this, uh, I mean, the, the the sheer amount of memorization the actor who plays Irving Spatz will have to go through is truly heroic <laughs> if, if they can pull it off uh-huh. because – the opening monologue, it's its uh, Spatz dictating to his secretary while simultaneously having other conversations. Oh, dang. At the same time. So he's dictating to her, and she's talking to somebody over the phone. Mm-hmm. They're, they're talking about uh, Morley being a major nuisance, so they bring him up almost right away. And he's, okay. he's wearing makeup. Oh. He's kind of the big thing in yeah. here. And he's, he's basically doing it to cause a, a bit of a ruckus. hmm Meanwhile... We've got this other thing going on with uh, Arthur Landau and some other some other guys who come in a little bit later on, mm-hmm. and they've got some other business going on with this call girl, okay, who they need to to write off. For something and deduct and, and so like i said it's a lot of techno babble yeah morley comes in he's being a nuisance he's being disruptive he's about to have a, a breakdown complete breakdown mm-hmm. and then Spatz says well for tax purposes that's not such a good idea and he says oh well then i won't oh. and he just doesn't we're okay. already getting hints that he's not exactly mentally stable okay he starts talking about wanting to write the new book so they can write off the, the dope as research and development. Yeah, And then Lando comes in and uh, Arthur Lando and Spats are talking and they go, what if we take the call girl from this other case and we have her marry John Morley and yeah. then both of her cases can benefit. Yeah, That idea comes out. Morley kind of freaks out about the idea because he knows it's going to disrupt his life yeah. because she's got to live with him. Right. Uh, in order for it to, to work.
0: Yeah. No more wearing makeup for him.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is where it's still kind of comedic mm-hmm. because, like, when they introduce Christine Van Damme, mm-hmm. she comes in and uh, Morley immediately sizes her up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not as an object of sexual desire, but as like a competitor. Oh. You know, and they start talking to each other and they start talking about her clothes and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And he has this long monologue where he tells her, this is what I expect of you. This is what you're allowed to do. And
0: Oh, you know, that's it's, gross.
1: Yeah. I want to say at this point in time, we got another character on stage named Lester Freitag. I mm-hmm. believe she is. I think he's Christine Van Damme's uh, lawyer. Okay. Some of these other guys, they only show up for one scene and then and then that's it. Sure. Uh, but eventually an arrangement is reached, mm-hmm. and so we're at the end of the first two scenes right there. These are these are all relatively short, mm-hmm. and they all deal with, again, John Morley's transformation. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, we're seeing who John Morley is yeah. as he is at the very beginning.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Then we get to scene three, and it's six months later... Mm -hmm. And on stage, again, it's the same location. We got Irving Spatz comes on along with a couple of lawyers named uh, Jimmy Churchill and Mel Delaney. And then uh, Arthur Landau comes in and... The uh, the first person who brings up Morley is uh, Landau. Mm-hmm. He tells them that uh, that Morley's there. Spats doesn't remember him right away. Uh-huh. I thought that was an interesting detail because they're they're showing that Irving Spats has a life outside of John Morley. Yeah. And so for him, this whole thing is just par for the course. This is just what he does. Mm-hmm. There's one point in time where they talk, it sounds like they're handling accounts for someone in the mafia. Ooh. So that's where you're really starting to get the, the yeah. amoral end of things yeah. here. They eventually start talking about John Morley, and they start talking about his, his situation, but it's like a joke. Okay. Because the whole thing is so bizarre, the way he's handling himself right now, uh, is he has apparently fallen in love with his wife. Right. Which was unexpected because, he, again, he was, he's gay. Yeah. Lando and some of the others apparently had gone to Morley's house and found him dressed like a lumberjack. Uh-huh. You know, like with the flannels and all that other stuff. Okay. It turns out that Mrs. Morley,
0: uh-huh.
1: Christine Van Dam,
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, is sort of aggressively sexual okay. with men because they talk about how she fondled one of the agents – during mm-hmm. this visit. And then they find out then they find out that John Morley's a book hoarder. So we first hear about this library of his right. and how badly scattered and everything it is. And then there's the psyche the psychiatrist report that they go in. The the psychiatrist's report indicates that he probably wasn't gay to begin with, but rather impotent. Yes. Uh yeah this is again 1960s thinking yeah but that that element of impotence comes into play later on because christine morley mm-hmm. is attracted to men who are impotent just hopelessly attracted to men who are impotent okay but there's kind of that question is he, is he impotent what's going on here yeah. Anyway, John Morley shows up, and so we're seeing John Morley as the heterosexual at this point in time. Right. You know, and he's dressed like a lumberjack, and he's got this cigar. Uh-huh. He talks about Christine, how they fell in love. Mm-hmm. She's pregnant. Uh-huh. Uh, he has a long monologue about Richard. Okay. His boyfriend, and how he was dejected and ended up committing suicide. Oh. Yeah. Yeah spats almost immediately after this goes back into the techno babble because spats is always on Mm -hmm. throughout all of this there's reference to a, a fictional drug called formalex okay and i was a little curious i ended up looking you ever heard of thalidomide yes I kind of wonder if that isn't a reference to thalidomide because they talk about huh. causing birth defects and that sort of thing. So there's this pharmaceutical yeah. company called Nicholson and & Meyer, and they advise him sort of a merging with this to help them out as well.
0: Oh. So there's
1: there's all these connections, and then Morley Incorporated is getting progressively bigger.
0: Gotcha.
1: And then John Morley is continuing to sort of transform Okay. He doesn't want to give up his library at first. They say, well, it's it's just on paper. You'll still be able to keep all your books. Okay. But he still doesn't like it at first, but then he, he goes along with it because he's – every time this stuff happens i mean originally it was like a sexual thing for him where he was aroused but yeah. he's still drawn and compelled toward this further transition mm-hmm. into being more and more of a corporation mm-hmm. uh so the scene ends with uh, morley kind of shaken because he experiences you know i uh, i'm not sure if it's ecstasy at this point in time or if it's starting to wear down on him at this point mm-hmm. Uh, but he leaves kind of shaken and he decides, okay, go ahead and donate the library.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Scene closes, and this would be about where you'd want your intermission. Yeah. Scene four. Now we've got the conference room of Morally Incorporated. Okay. Uh, Morally Incorporated takes up, I think they say at one point, it's two office levels. Okay. So, like the I don't know the the fourteenth and the fifteenth floors or something like that. Sure. And um, more uh, Arthur Landau and Christine en- enter. In fact, this whole scene, this this fourth scene, is a little interesting because Irving Spatz doesn't show up at all. Oh, okay. Arthur Landau shows up with Christine. Christine was talking about Morley and what's happening to him, that mm-hmm. he is—he must be sleeping in his office, that he's not coming home at night. He's not really responding to anything that has anything to do with anything other than his corporation. Okay. Uh, we find out that Christine uh, miscarried, mm-hmm. so uh, there's maybe some indication that he's retreating into the corporation to escape the pain of real life.
0: Throwing himself into his work yeah. type of thing.
1: But we also find out that he he gave up the junk. He's no longer a junkie, Mm -hmm. but he did start seeing an analyst. So he is getting psychiatric help. Mm -hmm. But as Christine puts it, it's because the junk is no longer tax deductible, but seeing an analyst is. Okay So he's still doing things based on tax the tax advisor yeah and you're also starting to get the sense that Morley is losing control. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine is very worried. Arthur Landau, perfect little enabler that he is. <laughs> Assures her that it's it's perfectly fine. Then uh, Morley comes in with uh, with Churchill. Jimmy Churchill comes in, and they do this this ritual where they're merging with a German slash Liechtenstein company and he has to initial a bunch of papers and you've got this this is where it comes into where where you've got sort of this existentialism absurdism scene going on yeah because Morley sits down at the table and then they put something in front of him he dips his pen he brings it down signs or initials, brings it up. It's, it's almost like he's a machine. Okay. And all he's doing is signing. And it's, the stage directions are very specific mm-hmm. about it looking like this mechanical ritual almost like an assembly line kind of situation. Exactly. Okay. He initials several documents. After this, they leave him alone mm-hmm. and he goes back into the ritual sort of involuntarily and oh. you see him start he starts to cry. Oh. His wife comes in, she's crying and he she leads him out because she's taking care of him. Mm-hmm. This is no longer a comedy. I mean the right. whole, the whole thing is a tragic comedy. Yeah. So the really really comic elements are starting to give way to this sort of strange, disturbing, but tragic thing yeah. that's happening to this this man. The character. destruction
0: of his identity and self. It's crumbling. Yeah. Yes,
1: his his whole sense of who he is is crumbling. Mm-hmm. So, scene 5, here's where it really gets technically complicated. Okay. I believe that the initial bit of this scene takes place in front of John Morley's house because there's reference to weeds and and you know flowers and that sort of thing. Okay. And it's Irving Spats with Arthur Landau and Jimmy Churchill, and they start talking about what's changed because it's okay. there's sometimes it's past. It's now it's 1962 now. Mm-hmm. Christine Morley enters. She is this. Sexual creature at this point. Yeah, and she's impulsively so uh, to a very aggressive degree. She makes really, really obvious passes at Irving spats Yeah, which he is uncomfortable with. Uh huh. And she's keep in mind she's attracted to impotence. Okay. It talks about in the stage directions a uh, a scrim rises on mm-hmm. the library oh we had previously okay. talked about so this is that scene where they're all in nice little rows yeah i assume this is the whole stage mm-hmm. so this first part of the scene must take place on one side of the stage and then they enter and then you see them come in from behind the scrim
0: mm-hmm. either way it's like this this big reveal it feels like it of is. being in the light la- okay
1: it is. Cool. And we have been, we've already talked, they've already talked about the library. The library oh, was sure. previously just an absolute mess. Yeah. yeah so yeah. what we're seeing is once it's it's already been cleaned up, it's been quote unquote donated.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We find out that the reason that Spatz is there is this guy named Frank Tosca is dead, which I think is that mafia contact. So mm-hmm. he was involved with that sort of thing, which means there's a corporate status change of some sort which means they have to be there and they start talking talking business talk with him again. Right. We see that Christine has been taking care of him. Mm-hmm. He's he's starting to stiffen like his legs are getting so he can't move his his uh, legs, use his legs anymore and he's starting to lose part of his vision and yeah, he's 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 falling apart. Okay. And his wife is really really closely taking care of him. Mhm. And then Spatz suggests for tax purposes that they get divorced. Okay. And this freaks Morley out. And he explains that all they have to, all she has to do is fly down to, I think it's someplace in Mexico, Mm -hmm. get a quickie divorce. Mm -hmm. It's just a divorce on paper. And then she flies back and she can go right back to doing whatever it is she's doing. Mm -hmm. John Morley will not have it. Okay. You know, because for him, Mm -hmm. divorcing on paper means the real thing.
0: As with like everything, like with everything, everything yeah, that yeah. happens on paper for him happens for real. It seems like
1: yeah. He well, his his it, she's his last connection to reality. Yeah, he talk. it talks previously about how he's insanely jealous, so he's not aware that she is being sexually aggressive with other men. Mm-hmm. And he makes this, you know, they, they talk about getting the divorce and he loses it. Mm-hmm. This is the point where he really starts freaking out because she's his last connection to his sanity and he starts smashing everything. Uh-huh. He starts knocking over the library. He wants Morally Incorporated to be completely liquidated. Yeah, He's absolutely desperate to keep himself together and uh, spe- Spatz tries to pull him together by talking business. In fact, he's he's like he's at 11, uh-huh. right? Just freaking out all over the stage and then Spatz starts talking business and he immediately neutralizes him. Right. He uh, Morley wants the 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 identity liquidated, but Spatz resists it. He mm-hmm. says it would be a bad idea to do that right now for financial reasons. Uh-huh. Morley actually accuses spats of using like witchery against him you know Mm -hmm. Uh, you're the one who's doing this to me morley seems to be breaking free finally Uh whatever the hell it is that's happening to him Mm -hmm. and then we catch christine morley getting it on with jimmy churchill okay so they're back i don't know exactly how you'd want to stage it but they're like maybe behind the books Mm -hmm. so knocking them all down we get the reveal at Mm -hmm. some point that that the two of them are over there Mm -hmm. john morley sees it and he snaps and he agrees immediately to the divorce okay so that's his last little lingering thread of sanity Mm -hmm. now we're at scene six Mm -hmm. We're back at Morley's house, it is one and a half years later. Oh. At this point, the house, it's empty. Mm -hmm. All the library books and everything are gone, so you're going to have a massive scene change trying to get all that mess off the stage as quickly as possible. It's turned into a care facility. Okay. we got these brand-new characters that we've never seen before. We've got a a nurse. We've got Dr. Kloon. We've got a handyman, some really big buff guy who can actually physically move him around. Okay. And then you've got an attendant, The attendant's probably the big burly guy, whereas the handyman is someone else. handyman comes in, and uh, he brings in an important prop, which is a pair of gardening shears. Mm -hmm. And so the very beginning is really just these people going about the business of getting John morally prepared to see somebody who's there to see him. Okay. And he is completely invalid. He doesn't respond to anything.
0: Is he almost like catatonic?
1: He is. Okay. His hair is white. So there's oh. that. You might even put, like, uh, white contact lenses in him. Well, maybe. He's, I mean. He's transformed. He's practically just this shriveled up thing yeah mm-hmm. and then irving Spatz comes in and spatz it's kind of hard because he's really disturbed by what's going on yeah and he doesn't seem to want to cause further harm but he just can't help himself he's just but constantly being the tax advisor
0: he's compelled to find these tax loopholes
1: mm-hmm. it's yeah just, it's just what he does okay uh, Dr. Clune is reluctant to let Mor- uh, to let Spats do anything because he does. They do recognize that John Morley sees himself as the corporation, mm-hmm. and he's afraid that any bad news about that corporation will hurt him. Right. So Spatz starts talking to him about the corporation. It's good news, good news, good news. Mm-hmm. And then Morley stands up and rises up and like like puts a fist in the air.
0: Sure triumph
1: yes but it's all restrained and slow motion oh it's really supposed to look terrifying. I, I bet. Spatz, of course, is really bothered by this. Uh-huh. Almost, he almost leaves, but the doctor you know, says, give him some bad news. So, cause he's, the doctor explains that he's going to be in that position for as long as he can physically hold it. Oh. So he says, give him some bad news so at least he deflates a little bit and we can get him into bed.
0: <laughs> oh, my. So that's
1: what Spatz does. Uh-huh. And then he collapses again into Mm -hmm. himself physically the role of john morley is very extensive yeah it's just amazing to me what it is that uh the actor will have to do Mm -hmm. they talk about dissolving everything but there's you know it's they're not quite sure how it's going to affect him Mm -hmm. they uh the doctor and the nurse leave to get a sedative and uh, Morley sort of quietly reaches out to Spats and says, "I want to die." Oh, just says, you know, because it's just that's how bad things are. Yeah. And then the doctor comes back in, and Spats asks the doctor just mm-hmm. how much pain Morley is in, and the mm-hmm. doctor says, "Quite a lot." Yeah. And it's you know, he says, "Well, why doesn't he just kill himself?" And the doctor says, "Well, he can't. He doesn't have the physical means of doing so." Yeah. And so the doctor leaves again, and Spats. He leans down to Morley and says, for tax purposes, we need you to die. Ah! And then he leaves, and then this is where it gets really gruesome. Morley gets those shears and disembowels himself.
0: Oh, my God!
1: (laughs) And that's the end of the play. Lights out! That's the way it ends, yeah. Wow! So it is a tragedy, to say the least. This guy goes from being... One of the funniest characters you could imagine, yeah, to being this horribly tragic figure, yeah, and uh, you know he's got all these just horrible enablers in his life. Mm-hmm. It's not like he magically transforms. There's something psychological going yeah. on with him as well. We talk about who should be producing this play.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm seeing. I'm seeing this as a professional production.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Maybe collegiate.
0: Maybe collegiate. Yeah. You
1: know, like even like a scene. Mm Mm-hmm. Or uh, or using monologues or that sort of thing. Yeah. But a professional theater, I mean, I would have loved to have seen Mike Myers play this.
0: Yeah, that would have been pretty nuts. I mean, I personally would have loved to see Zero Mostel in this Mm -hmm. because he's got one heck of a stage presence. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can can imagine, certainly. So if you are one of these groups that, you know, you feel like you could take this on as a production, uh, what does the right situation look like? That's a tricky one.
1: Is it? Yeah. Well, the edition that I read of mm-hmm. this comes from an anthology. It's called The Collected Works of Paddy Chayefsky, The Stage Works. Yeah. Uh, there's, I don't know, maybe three or four volumes that includes all of his television screenplays, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And there's one that just has the stage plays, and that's what I read. That was published in 1995 by Applause Books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, if I was to try to personally produce it, that would be, that would probably be my first start. Yeah. Is try to contact somebody at Applause Books and find out what the right situation is there. I looked for Patty Chayevsky at Samuel French and DPS. I wasn't able to find anything. Huh. The only, the script for Gideon. Yeah. I believe Samuel French has Gideon. So if you wanted to produce this, you would have to do some detective work because I, I honestly don't know who holds the rights. Okay. I don't think there are any acting editions available for yeah. any of these plays. The Tenth Man and Gideon, there might be acting editions out there, but most mm-hmm. of, I want to say The Late Heterosexual was first published probably in the late 60s. There was like a Random House edition. Oh, okay. Or something like that. But I yeah. don't think there was ever an acting edition actually printed for this. Okay. So it would be it would be a challenge. This is one of those plays that would be a good read. Probably. I think more than anything.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well that is all that we have for the latent heterosexual. For our next play we'll be taking a look at The Bat by Mary Roberts Reinhardt another play from the 1920s. Until then, our email address is theplayreaderspod at gmail.com and we can be found on Twitter at theplayreaders. Our intro and outro music is Delightful D by Kevin McLeod, and as always, don't forget to read the stage directions.